I want to know, when was that first time that you really said to yourself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this church thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to jump feet first and become a real part of a church. When was that for you? For some of us who are here, we grew up in church, and this has never been a question. Right? Sunday mornings, Sunday school, potlucks, confirmations, Bible studies, small groups. You've always been a part of it, and you're always going to do it. No questions asked. But for the majority of us, jumping into a church community is not, 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 not a foregone conclusion. It's a legitimate decision. Right? Whether it's because we are now so far away from home and our home church and our, our familiar settings or because it's been a while since you've been to church or you've never thought you would set your foot in church again except for weddings and funerals. So for most of us to say, yeah, I'm going to do this church thing, I think, <laughs> it's a legitimate decision. For me, that time was at university. I'd already trusted Jesus. I made a number of Christ-following friends. I was pretty intentional, to be honest, about sharing my faith. I was fairly disciplined in my walk with God. So stepping off campus and and joining and being part of a church, like it was a nice add-on, but didn't feel at all like a necessity in my life. So you could say I I was kind of a, I was a half-timer. All right, when I punched in the cloud, I was a half-timer at church. I pitched up for about half Sundays because I'd found someone who was a, a pretty inspirational, dynamic preacher, But because I didn't get to really know him very much, when he stepped down from that church, I kind of left that church. So I tried another church called Third Prez. Steve Hartman and David Singh were wonderful preachers, preaching pastors, but I didn't know them either. However, nevertheless, I started attending every week. And I started becoming a true member of that church because of a man named Andy Burgess. Andy reached out to university students. He loved to do this. He, he invited us for coffee. He uh, would email us sometimes with a Bible verse. He'd check in with us on Sunday mornings. And around the holidays, he and his wife, Brenda, they always seemed to just raise their level of care. They would invite uh, students, especially students who are far from home. They would invite them over to their house for holiday functions and holiday events. Even though they had two kids of their own, they, they welcomed us. Andy, it's very important to point out, was not a pastor. Andy was not an elder. Andy was not a leader. Yet it was his care that encouraged a handful of us to stick with a church community when we probably wouldn't have done so otherwise. I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 25. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided for you, sides, aisles, middle of the aisles here, chair back pockets. That's going to be on page 213, 1 Samuel 25. We're going to read a story about everyday people caring for one another. This story takes place in a time when God's people are desperate for a leader to take care of them, and specifically a king. So God first warns them, here are the issues that will come, though, if you have a human king rule over you. So he first warns them, but ultimately gives them a king. And by the time we get to our story, that first king, here he is, he's grown paranoid. He's no longer fit to lead and care for God's people. 
Thankfully, though, there's a spiritual leader of God's people. He's a prophet and a priest named Samuel. People look to, long look to Samuel for, for care and for protection. But as our story opens, Samuel dies. So you had leaders, and those leaders are no more. So chapter 25 introduces us into what is a leadership vacuum in the nation of God's people. And, and they're left with a choice. God's people, including a future and already named king named David, you know, they all face this choice to either leave autonomous, sort of do-it-yourself lives on the one hand, or a choice to get to know each other and care for one another on the other hand. So let's read together 1 Samuel 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. There was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard, uh, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing, lacked nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you, therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we, come, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up with David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both day and night all while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man, and one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste. She took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five uh, five sheep already prepared, and five seahs of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. She said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. 
And she rode on donkey, and she came under uh, the cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow Nabal has in the wilderness, so nothing was missed of all I belong to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When David saw, or sorry, when Abigail saw David, she hurried, got down from the donkey, and she fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, which means folly. Folly is with him. But I, I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my, uh, make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, she shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he's spoken concerning you and appointed you as the prince of Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, for you have kept me from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning, there had not been left Nabal, so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she'd brought. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice. I have granted your petition. Abigail came to Nabal. And behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Nabal's heart was merry within, and he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when, he had, when, he, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told, him these things, wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. He became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I have received the hands of Nabal. He's kept back his servant from wrongdoing. And the Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And he ro- she rose, she bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and she rose, she mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and he became his wife. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would speak through it to us. And Father, please help us see our story in your story this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So there are three questions we're going to ask of this story this morning because I think our story uh, illustrates answers to all three of these questions. Gives us principles for all three of these questions. Those questions are, why care? Why care for someone? Why care? Who cares? And how to care? So let's get started. Why care in the first place? There are many, many compelling and and Bible-centered reasons we should care for our neighbor and especially a fellow church member. We are called to love because Jesus first loved us. Because he first loved us, we should reach out to our neighbor. We should reach out to our brother and sister in our congregation. Number two, God is relational. God himself is relational. Father, Son, Holy Spirit all care for each other. And because we are made in God's image, we are then called to be caretakers, caregivers to one another. We're made in His image. God is relational as a caregiver. We should be relational as a caregiver. But chapter 25, our text, the first Samuel, gives another compelling reason why we should care. And that is God has given us to one another to lessen the effects of the fall. Let me explain what I mean. When, when man first rebelled against God and said, I want to go my way, not your way, God, one of the consequences of, of breaking that relationship with God is, is God gave man death and decay such that nothing in all the world we live in, not relationships, not creation, not ourselves, nothing works the way it should. And we see this in our story, starting in verse 1, right? Right away, death. We also get a lack, a lack of things, a lack of provision, verse 8. We get anger, verse 13. We get danger, verse 16. We get the abuse, the possible abuse of power, verse 22. Nothing in this world, 1 Samuel 25, is working as it should, just as in ours. But we also see in our story this morning that that God positions people to provide care, to, to lessen, to alleviate the effects of all, these, of all these things going on, all these awful things going on in life. So we see David and his men have a need that can be met. Right? Food through Nabal. Shepherds have a need that can be met. Safety through David and his men. Right? Abigail has a need that can be met. Mercy through David. David has a need that can be met. Wisdom to restrain himself that can be given from anyone. Abigail just happens to step up and give it. Around you are people experiencing suffering and the devastating effects of the fall. Illnesses of an aging parent, the burden of a single mom, inequality in the workplace, strife in the family, just a general lack, whether it be of money or of wisdom to live life. People all around you are suffering the effects of the fall. So God positions one another to provide care today. One another. person sitting on your row, person sitting on the row in front of you, people sitting behind you. You're positioned to provide that kind of care to one another today. In fact, there are 59 one-anothers in the New Testament. 59 one-anothers to encourage us to care. So, for example, here are just a few. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Accept one another. Teach one another. Greet one another. Wait for each other. Serve one another. 
forgive one another, submit to one another, consider others, encourage each other. And this is just a sample of the many one another's in Scripture. All these one another's are speaking to us to provide care for someone in God's church. Except, except one key ingredient seems to be missing. One ingredient that usually hinders us from caring for someone in God's church. That's many of us don't know another. Many of us don't know another who may be here today. Really know them. And because we don't know, we often throw in the towel and we say, well, there's nothing I can do. I don't know the person because I don't know her. I'm in no position to provide care for her or for him. Right? How often the intentions are there, but I'm just not in a position. I can't do it. I won't do it. Who does that sound like in our story? Look at me, with me again at verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is Jesse? Many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take bread? Shall I take my water? Shall I take my meat that I've killed for my shears? Give it to people I don't even know? Now, when we read stories in the Bible, especially what we call narrative in the Bible, it's a story form. One of the things we should do is try to put ourselves in characters in those stories, to put ourselves in people's shoes, right? But when we read stories, it's so rare that we want to put ourselves right in the villain's shoes. Like when you read this at first and you heard about Nabal and his response, what were you like? Oh man, what a nasty dude. Right? Or when you read about Pharisees in the New Testament, what do we say? Oh man, those people. And we're, and we're so prone to not see ourselves in them because we're blinded by sin. We just don't, don't do it. But, how, but we could see ourselves here, right? We just say, you know what? Don't know the person. Not going to provide care. Now, you don't do it in the way Nabal did, rudely. You'd be more polite, more deferential, more apologetic. But nonetheless, you hold back care when it comes to it. We say to ourselves, who's David? Who'd that person come with again? Should I really? Am I obligated to give to somebody I don't even know? Responsibility, friends, lies on us to get to know. And maybe God intends to use your practical care as the means to get to know someone who's in need. Maybe it's that stepping out and saying, I want to provide. I noticed that person in the corner. I noticed that person who shared from up front and said they had a need. You know, maybe this is the way I'll get to know them. Either way, don't let Nabal's excuse become yours. Which, of course, leads us to the next question, who cares? Who cares? And the irony of this passage, and the reason this passage struck me, because there's many passages I could have picked to talk about our care for one another, this one struck me so because none of the characters in our text, none of the main characters really know each other, do they? All of them begin unfamiliar strangers. Yet, it's a story all about caring for one another. How does this work? How does this work? Well, because every person in this story is part of one big family. Long ago, before this story takes place, God promised a man named Abraham that he would build a family through him. And this family started really small. But it grew, and it grew, and it grew to the point where not everyone knew each other anymore. Nevertheless, the family is there. David is bonded to Nabal because the latter, Nabal, is a Calebite. He was a descendant 
Caleb, Caleb was the descendant of Abraham. And Nabal is the descendant of Caleb, who's a guy who once spied out the land and then once lived. Now they live in. David is bonded to the shepherds because the latter are children of Abraham. Abigail is bonded to David because they're both children of Abraham. In other words, they're all bonded together by blood, yet unfamiliar with each other. So too is our story. We are part of God's family, bonded by blood. We are all, if you've trusted Jesus, and others have trusted Jesus in this church, you are bonded by blood, the blood of Jesus. Yet sometimes we're unfamiliar. We, we walk in here and we don't really feel like we know anyone. Just as God's people in this story didn't necessarily know anyone. What's also interesting about our story is the diversity of people in it. We have persons of wealth, persons of influence, persons of humble origins, like the shepherds, David's men, even Abigail herself. So back to the question of who cares, 1 Samuel 25, we see it's, it's non-leaders, non-leaders from diverse backgrounds with little familiarity with one another. Those are the people who care. Those are the people who step out and meet needs. That's right. Non-leaders, diverse backgrounds, not familiar with each other. That's a great picture of what the church should be like. People like that reaching out to one another. We're not going to reach our potential as a church primarily by Ryan and Brett caring or by the elders caring, nor is it going to be through community group leaders nor even our ministry team leaders. It's when a, a commanding woman who works 60 hours a week just tirelessly befriends a, a North American mom, well-to-do mom, who's, who's just struggling with the pressures of life. There's not a natural familiarity there, but there's this reaching out. There's this looking for a way to care. And it's those kinds of relationships that are going to maximize our potential to love as a church. For us, then, it's, it's, it's anyone. Who cares? Anyone and everyone. You know, the Bible calls followers of Jesus a kingdom of priests. Priests were the people in the Old Testament who brought people close to God. They were the, the first line People who said, like, get closer to God. I want to bring you closer to God. And the Bible said long before Jesus came, one day you're going to be a kingdom of priests, a, 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 a body full of people who bring one another closer to God. It's not just the pastor or the priest. It's all of us who are called to this. So I want to encourage you, find someone here for whom you can care. Maybe it's on a ministry team. Maybe it's in a community group. Maybe it's before or after a Sunday service. But finding a way to walk alongside, get to know, befriend, and care for someone here. Jesus says that everyone will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. I just want to say that there are some of you here this morning that you're sitting next to someone for whom you care, for whom you befriended, and they befriended and cared for you. And I see it, particularly on Sundays. I look out and I get to see people sitting next to each other. And I know it's not just because they're married. Or it's not just because they can't have to, you know, take a ride together or whatever. It's because you've taken a moment to care for that person. And I just want to say, I want you to hear me say, well done. Well done. I, I just, I think God is so pleased that you've made that effort to step out. That you've risked even being rejected to do that. 
And, and I and we have so much to, to learn from you. And particularly the ways that God has used you to care for others, how he's used you. And that, not coincidentally, is our last question, how to care. There's a bunch of practical ways to care for people that we see in our passage this morning. I'm just going to point out the two that stand out the most, the two I think are most important. When you think about, I'm going to walk alongside someone, I'm going to get to know them better. Now, how can I care for them? I'm going to point out two. But let me first, if you don't mind, make a, just a tiny book recommendation. This will be our third book recommendation of the morning. That's a lot of reading. Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love by Dr. Ed Welch. Side by Side is a short book, super readable. It's barely over 100 pages. Uh, there are no pictures, but lots of bullet points. Um, I, I actually just recently gave it to a friend who, like me, wants to grow in, in, in caring for the one another's in their lives. And she loved it, encouraged, was encouraged by it, wrote, wrote about it. This book, what's so nice about it is it walks you through the process of first, like, how do you kind of just get to know someone in a church? And then how do you kind of start to befriend them? And as you get to know them and listen to their story and, and draw out their story, how do you actually practically begin to care for them? So in the back, you're going to see uh, first, a, they make a little pamphlet of this. If you just want to take the pamphlet, that's fine. Those are free. But there's also books back there, side by side, walking with one another in wisdom and love. I want to encourage you to take a look at that. What's interesting is this book, it's a great book again, divided into two parts. The first part says, we are needy. The second part is, we are needed. Which is interesting, right? It doesn't plunge into just how do you help someone. It begins by, by making this declaration, we ourselves are needy. The person who wants to help is needy. That's so important for us to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, I need help. And to say to someone else in our lives, you know what? I need help too. David normally gets this part right. David normally, except in our story, gets the first part right in the Psalms where he just expresses how needy he is of the Lord. My soul pants for you like a deer pants for water. Right? He's desperate for God and he admits that to him all the time. So I want to encourage you, the first thing to do, the first way you can help someone is admit your own need for help. If you want to walk along someone in wisdom, alongside someone in wisdom and love, admit your own need for help. That's what David does. Remember the context of our story. Samuel is dead. That means David is more vulnerable than he's ever been. Because the only leader left, remember that only leader? The current king named Saul? The only leader left in the nation wants him dead. And has been aggressively trying to murder him. So David, Samuel dies. He shows up to the funeral. Mourns for him. But understandably, he's more vulnerable than ever. Notice in verse 1 that David rose and he went down to the wilderness. Because very likely, the, the king showed up too. The king who wanted to kill him. Right? So what did David do? Not going to stick around here very long. I'm going to go to the wilderness. David almost certainly feels the leadership vacuum here. Some commentators I read think that David initiates this request of Nabal, not only for food, but also for relationship, to build a long-term relationship with him. He's out here in the wilderness. He's vulnerable. He could use an influential friend in his life. So David says, I need help. I need help. Hoping that it will then be reciprocated by someone else. I need help. You need help. We can both admit we need help. 
I can't overstate how crucial admitting our need for help is if you hope to care for someone else well. Because there are going to be certain people who need you to admit your need for help before they're going to reach out and admit theirs. Right? We know people like this. Most people we know are self-sufficient, especially on this island, right? Full of professionals, full of competent people, well-educated, well-organized, who know how to get things done on their own, who need you to be the first to admit, I'm weak in that area. I need help here. I have a friend in this church who does this so well. I mean, so well to the point where, like, it's a spiritual gift for them. And you would see them, you would think that person's a, a mature you know, got-it-together man. Yet when you talk to him, he says, you know what, I'm a screw-up. It's one of the first things he says. Those words. They're very bluntly, I'm a screw-up. And you know what? I could probably tell this guy anything. I can talk to him. I have talked to him almost anything in my life. And why? Because he says, you know what? I'm in need of help too. People need to hear this. They don't need to hear. I'm not saying... They need to hear that you're perfect. I'm not saying they need to see you as some ideal Christian man or woman. They just need to see you genuinely in touch with your own neediness. That's all. The other thing we can do, I think, we see in our passage to help care for other people is to care for their soul. The two most important things, admit need for your own help. The second most important thing, care for their soul. We see this in Abigail. There are all kinds of practical ways Practical needs that need to be met in our story. Food, hospitality, protection from danger. But no care is more important than caring for someone's soul. And that's exactly how we see Abigail care for David, don't we? This is summarized really well in verse 26. Look at that with me again. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. So what is David caught in? What what is Abigail helping David with? David is caught in self-help salvation, right? He is determined to take care of the problem with his own strength. That's what he's used to. That's what many men are used to. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to get out of this on my own. Many of us who are strong-willed, which will have dire consequences for David, which Abigail points out. She says, it's going to be on you. It's going to be blood guilt on you. That's a big deal because David's going to become king, an earthly king. And as an earthly king, that means he was going to represent the king of kings on this earth. His character was supposed to look like his character. Right? And so God's character is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. So if David just pops off and kills someone because he's insulted, what's that going to do to his reputation? What's that going to do to his leadership? What's that going to do to his soul? So Abigail cares for David by pointing him back to God and saying, wait a minute, David, where's God in all this? Who's the one who's supposed to take care of your reputation, your vengeance? Right? Who is your Savior? That's what care should look like for us also. Pointing people back, pointing people away from self-help and back towards their Savior. That's what it should look like for us also because people's default is self-help. It's self-saving. I had a father recently tell me a, a story. He was offering to help his young son 
who was uh, struggling to fix a little tree fort. They had a tree fort in the yard, and they were fixing up, and the son kept trying to hammer the nails into the wood, right? And the result was a lot of bent nails and a couple fingers that were bruised, right, over time. And so um, the dad said, son, you know, I can help you if you want. And the son didn't respond. So he kept saying, son, I can help you if you want. I can help you if you want. The son didn't respond. So he gets closer to the son and says, finally, uh, son, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you answer? He said, dad, I, I just didn't hear you. Didn't hear you. So you didn't hear me? Finally, the father asked, how many times did you not hear me? He said, probably three or four times. <laughs> Man, can't you? I, I just so identify with that kid. So identify with him. Sin inside of me says, Ryan, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And I try and I try. Sometimes I don't even listen to God. And so I need someone else in my life to come alongside me and say, Ryan, hey, where, where, where's God in all this? I need someone to come alongside me and say, hey, let's go to God in prayer to admit that we need him together. I need someone like that to care for my soul, to point me back to him as Savior and not me as Savior. And when we care for people that way, it it forges a bond so often, as we see in our story. Thankfully, our story is a happy ending, doesn't it? Look at that with me again, starting in verse 39. I just want to read this again because... Sometimes stories don't have happy endings. This one does. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. Sermons came to Abigail. They say to her, David wants to be your husband, you his wife. And boom, happy ending. She goes. She, they become married. Wedding bells. All of that. It's wonderful. I don't point this out to suggest that your care for one another in the church is going to end up in a seven-mile beach wedding. All right? In fact, in many cases, that would be unadvisable, maybe even unbiblical, um, so, what I do mean to point out and suggest is that stepping out first to get to know someone and then to walk alongside them so as to care for them can build a unique lifetime bond with someone you never imagine otherwise. In a different time and place, I reached out and befriended a guy named Jim. And as I got to know Jim, he admitted to different trials in his life one of which was being a lifetime Chicago Bears football fan, which I am as well. Um, just a lot of futility, a lot of, a lot of hardship. Uh, the, other, the other I witnessed with my own eyes, uh, I watched him and his wife, and I could tell in his marriage that, that his wife was very critical of him. She would just sort of nag at him and point out things to him, even when he was trying to do his best. And so I reached out to him. Uh, we watched a Bears game together because I knew there'd be a lot of dead time because the Bears are that bad. They got beat by a lot of points. A lot of dead space we could relate in. So uh, I asked him, hey, man, I just I kind of noticed, like, like, things aren't super easy for you. Like, what's that, what's that doing to you? Just ask that. And he started to share with me um, just feelings of being pressured and feeling down. Because of, because of being so criticized in his life. And he said that as a result, I, I just turned to thinking about other women, other, other situations. I turned to lust. So as I was sharing with him my own need for help in my own life, it gave me an opportunity to begin to walk alongside him, point him to his Savior, and Jim and I, as a result, are lifelong friends to this day. Previously unfamiliar people, part of one big family, 
bonded by the blood of Jesus. Friends, we don't need to be intimidated. It begins that way for all of us. All of us start unfamiliar, but because of Jesus, we can reach out. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus who cared for us to the uttermost by giving his life. We thank you so much this day for him more than anyone else. And, and we, we want to look to that example of, of, of sacrifice to give a little of ourselves to walk along at least one, one another, one other in this church. So God, we ask for help to do that. We thank you that you've given us a privilege to do that. You've called us a kingdom of priests. We're all in this together to to show off your love to one another. So empower us, encourage us that it doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take reading 15 books. It just takes looking out for someone, asking to get to know them, admitting our own need, and pointing people back to you. Please help us be that kind of people at Sunrise Community Church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.